Hello and welcome everyone to a brand new episode of the Gap and Wrap Biosimilar podcast series. I'm your host, Gabriella McCarty, and I'm thrilled to have you join us today. In this series, we dive deep into the world of biosimilars. Our focus for today's episode, the practical use of biosimilars in gastroenterology APP practice. I am honored to be joined by an esteemed guest, someone whose expertise will elevate our episode today, and someone that all of us in the GI community look up to. I know I do, so I'm so excited about this. Help me extend a warm welcome to Sharon Dudley-Brown, a name that is synonymous with excellence in gastroenterology practice. Sharon brings a wealth of knowledge and experience that she has graciously agreed to share with us today. Sharon, would you mind giving us a quick introduction? Sure. Thank you, Gabriella. And hi, everyone. It's a pleasure to be on this podcast that I've been enjoying listening to so much. And this topic is one that's near and dear to my heart. I've been a nurse practitioner for over 25 years. I've been at Johns Hopkins University in their IBD Center for a little over 16 years, where I um, have my own panel of patients with inflammatory bowel disease. But I do work in conjunction with other providers in our IBD Center and our nurses who are fabulous. Um, and I have my practice right now is exclusive just to patients with Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. Thank you. So thank you again, Sharon, for being here and sharing more about yourself. And we'll get started. So biosimilars have been transforming the landscape of gastroenterology and rheumatology, providing effective alternatives to costly biologic treatments. And as advanced practice providers, knowing how to navigate the practical use of biosimilars is essential to providing the best patient care. So that's exactly what we'll be delving into with Sharon's guidance today. So without further ado, let's jump into this enriching conversation with Sharon Dudley-Brown and unravel the practical use of biosimilars in gastroenterology APP practice. Welcome to the Gap and Wrap Biosimilar Podcast. Sharon, I think a really good place to get us going is with the American Gastroenterology Association Biosimilars Roundtable Meeting Report and the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation Position Statement on Biosimilars. So can you give the listeners a breakdown of these influential papers? Sure. I, I agree with that, Gabriella. Let's start with the AGA Biosimilars Roundtable Meeting Report. I'm remembering that it was published in 2018. Um, and summarizing the discussion that took place at the meeting of the stakeholders in the field of biosimilars and gastroenterology. The meeting focused on the current and potential use of biosimilars in inflammatory bowel disease. As our frequent listeners already know, biosimilars are copies of biologic drugs that have been shown to be highly similar to the original drug in terms of safety and efficacy. They're often much cheaper than the original drug, which can make them a more affordable option for patients. The meeting participants concluded that biosimilars have the potential to improve access to affordable treatment for IBD patients, 
However, they also noted there's still some uncertainty about the long-term safety and efficacy of biosimilars. They recommended that more research should be done in this area. The meeting participants also emphasized the importance of education and communication about biosimilars. They believe that healthcare professionals and patients need to be better informed about the benefits and risks of biosimilars in order to make informed decisions about their care. That's interesting, Sharon. Thank you for that information. How about the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation position statement on biosimilars? Certainly. The CCFA position statement draws a lot of similarity to the AGA's paper. To summarize it broadly, the CCF believed that believes that biosimilars are a safe and effective treatment option for patients with um, Crohn's and colitis. They're not opposed to patients switching from the originator biologic to a biosimilar as long as the patient is in clinical remission. However, they are opposed to multiple switches between the originator biologic and biosimilars due to the lack of data on the safety and efficacy of this treatment strategy. The CCF also advocates for a patient-centered approach to treatment decision-making with the patient and healthcare provider working together to choose the best treatment option, which seems pretty reasonable. Thank you for that wonderful breakdown of those two papers. I think it gives us a great base to talk about the more practical aspects of utilizing biosimilars in our practice. So we'll go through some different questions in, um, you know, doing this on a day-to-day basis with your IBD patients. And one thing is for APPs and gastroenterology, what are some of the key considerations when transitioning patients from reference biologics to biosimilars? Um, it's a, that's a really good question, um, Gabriella, especially to start this off with. I, I think first is the notion of um, stability, um, which was just mentioned previously, um, that the patient, their disease needs to be fairly stable. Therefore, they can't be like in the middle of induction. I have been successful in getting um, a delay in, in getting a switch uh, to a biosimilar if a patient just started induction or if a patient like just got out of the hospital and, you know, maybe had the first dose in the hospital, maybe they've even had two and they, they're just still not, um, not doing great. And you're still as a clinician, um, deciding on their response and dose and all of that. So they need to be stable. In addition, I don't allow any switches on pregnant patients because we have no data. Um, there is no data out on doing a um, biosimilar switch during during pregnancy. So those are sort of the two reasons to um, talk to your lovely insurance company and PBM and convince them that the patient cannot switch at the time. The other side of this um, in terms of key considerations is really to inform um, the patient, informing them of the safety and efficacy. And that's sort of reminding them what a biosimilar actually is. And that now we know that, um, that the, these 
biosimilar medications are safe and effective, just as safe and just as effective as their um, original treatment. So focusing on that um, is very important. And if we can inform people in advance of any switch, because I, I think patients don't like to all of a sudden get a notification that they're going to have a switch in their medication. I mean, we've seen this uh, for PPIs, for example, for many years. Um, you know, patients say if something's working, I don't want to switch. And so in the case of these biosimilars, you have to inform the patient that these are shown to be safe and effective. Those are all excellent points, Sharon. And I was going to say the same thing, like be transparent so patients aren't just getting a new medication all of a sudden. So right. all, you know, super important points. And are there any other strategies that you found effective in helping your patients understand and feel more comfortable, you know, going from a um, originator product to a biosimilar? Well, if somebody, it's a good question. If somebody is still um, maybe not as comfortable, I it's similar to when I start people on a biologic or a small molecule medication. I say, let's start with one, right? <laughs> one dose <laughs> and see mm -hmm. how you feel. And so it's the same with the switch to biosimilars. If they're really reluctant, okay, let's have a conversation after you have your whatever uh, drug, a dose of that drug. And um, we can just talk about how it went and how you're feeling. I think it's important that patients know that we will entertain, you know, symptoms or complaints, um, which can occur on the original drug as well. So I, I just say, you know what, if you have any questions, let's just have a phone call conversation after you get that dose of the new biosimilar. Yeah. And yeah, that's, those are all great points. And I, I feel like really like 98% of at least my patients, they do fine switching over. You yes. know, there is, there are, are those few patients that felt great on the original medication and they will say they're symptomatic. And at that point, you know, after switching and at that point, you know, you sit down and have that conversation and then you can kind of fight with the insurance company to get that original product approved for them. And that's, and that's fine. We also have like a non-branded um, brochure that we hand out just talking about the different biosimilars and what they are. So that's been uh, pretty helpful uh, for patients as well. Yeah. I think so. it's good to like use this also to educate pa patients to to ask about the medication. Like if they're getting an infusion, ask the nurse what's the name of the medicine and what's the dose? Because I'm amazed um, that nobody knows the dose. Mm -hmm. And most of these patients who have switched to a biosimilar, they don't know the name of it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> yep. So um, what role does evidence-based practice play in the adoption of biosimilars and gastroenterology? And how would you say you stay up to date with the latest research and guidelines in this evolving field? 
Uh, I think, uh, you know, it's a good question, but I would say that the issue about biosimilars really isn't any different than anything else that that we face uh, in the treatment um, of IBD right now. So um, looking at any new literature um, that's coming out, I think being aware now that we're getting more and more biosimilars, even just understanding ourselves, what are the different options in these different classes um, is, is important. And if we individually as a clinician have a question, um, you know, then, then looking um, at any trials or, or is there any trials or have there been trials done, um, which there's been a lot of biosimilar trials done in Europe. Um, so if one is interested in, in that, I, but I think educating us first, um, and then, you know, educating our, our patients about what has been happening because the biosimilars have been out for a while now. Um, and while the choice of the biosimilar may be dictated by their insurance or pharmacy benefit manager, I think it's helpful if we know, you know, the names of these options, as it seems now more and more are coming out into the marketplace. I was going to say, I think we have a different rep coming in weekly <laughs> now with a new Adalimum. Right. Similar. Right. It's like, I can't even keep track of all these different names. So how are patients going to do that? You know? Right. And I would also like to just shout out to Gap because uh, these keeping up with, um, with these at these conferences and, you know, GAP is a great one uh, to attend and it's all up-to-date information from our peers. Um, so that has been amazing too. We just right. had our sixth annual conference. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So are there any notable differences in terms of monitoring or efficacy or safety profiles between biosimilars and their reference biologics that APP should be mindful of? Well, the short answer is no. I think you're going to, if you're into whether proactive or reactive um, drug monitoring and looking at levels, you can continue to do that because you're going to use the um, originator, um, level uh, to look, um, at that, but there really isn't anything different that you would do. If somebody loses response on the originator or has a reaction, then you don't want to continue. So think of right. it in your mind as it's like the same medication. So you would, you know, make your decision and choices um, about that. Mm -hmm. But efficacy and safety, again, generally equivalent. Yes, agreed. And that's what I tell patients too. We're not, not going to be monitoring you any differently. All of that will stay the same. Um, so again, back to that transparency. So um, but looking ahead, what do you envision for the future of biosimilars in gastroenterology? Anything new and exciting? Any trends on the horizon that can further enhance utilization and impact? Well, I, I think 
that most of our biologics will become biosimilars. Um, I mean, used to map biosimilar will be out in the near future. So I think, and and as you mentioned, the adalimumab now has multiple um, mm-hmm. multiple biosimilars. And so part of it is, you know, again, us trying to keep up with this. And I think we've learned from the infliximab biosimilars that the most important thing is to be ahead of the game and understand us as providers and also educate our patients that this will be coming. Um, so with all the adalimumab starts, you need to tell them that this could be a biosimilar. Um, and moving forward, I, I think any biologic start, and I will argue small molecules as well, will eventually be a you know biosimilar slash generic. But you know, I think patients understanding that um, is just giving giving them that information ahead of time is just going to allay a lot of um, issues and fears that we originally saw with the rollout of infliximab biosimilars. Yeah, those are great points. And one excited, one exciting thing that I can think of is that cost will go down. So that's always a plus. Yeah, um, I mean, it's not, you know, patients don't tend to get that reduced cost, which I think uh-huh. is very frustrating. Um, you know, there is sort of the public health good. Yes. Um, and and perhaps, yes, they may see a future, you know, decrease. Um, but it's unfortunately in this country, <laughs> it's much more complicated um, than in other in other countries. Um, so it sort of, you know, we have to wait and see about who's who's benefiting from this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. One thing that we would like to ask every guest on this series is a question that's very important, and we want multiple perspectives, both from GI and rheumatology APPs. What is the most frequent question you get from patients about biosimilars, and how do you answer it? Hmm. Yes, that's <laughs> definitely important. I, I would say the, I mean, some patients say why why do I have to switch, right? This has been working. I've been on it. I'm doing well. Um, why do I have to switch? And I don't want to switch. Um, I think what they're actually asking is, you know, what is the safety and efficacy about this biosimilar? Um, because again, when patients do well, I mean, it took years and years for us to find medications for patients um, to help them feel better in this arena. So if people are feeling better, they're very realistically, they are hesitant. So I think Mm -hmm. discussing the safety and efficacy um, of the biosimilars, even from just like a very generic standpoint, you know, that that's the FDA um, describes the safety and efficacy of a biosimilar as the same as the reference product. So, and then, you know, the experience worldwide is that these are safe and defective. I I think a question that we don't 
necessarily have the best data on are the multiple switches, which I think now um, is also going to be an issue with adalimumab. We believe that the infliximab switches that people do okay from a safety and efficacy, but you know, there's always that important need to look at that data moving forward um, from that. But I, yeah, I think are, just, mm -hmm. yeah, I think just the safety and efficacy really is the most frequent question. I don't know. What about you, Gabriella? Yeah. I mean, they're worried about, you know, I'm doing so well. Am I going to start flaring up now? You know, so it's just that education and that, you know, this it should be no different. And again, that reiterating all of all of what you said, really. But yeah, that I would say my number one question. Yeah, you are. I'm doing so well. Why am I switching? Will I flare up? <laughs> so, right. And I think that's going to be uh, across the board. Uh, what a lot of people right. will will mention. Yep, I agree. Yeah. So there you have it, a truly enlightening conversation um, that we talked about on the practical use of biosimilars and gastroenterology advanced practice. So I hope that everyone found this episode as informative and inspiring as I did. And a big thank you to our guest, Sharon Dudley-Brown, for sharing her insights and expertise with us today. Your contribution has been invaluable, and we're so grateful for your time. Pleasure was all mine, Gabriella. I hope our listeners take away some um, important information that they can utilize in their practice starting today. Yes, for sure. So thanks again. And to all of our listeners, thank you for tuning into this episode of the Gap and Wrap Biosimilar podcast series. We're committed to bringing you more engaging discussions and expert insights on the world of biosimilars in gastroenterology and rheumatology. And I'd also like to say thank you to Pfizer and Amgen, because without their continued support of APP education, this podcast would not even be possible. So please see our show notes for learning objectives from this episode and fill out our evaluation so that we can receive feedback. And make sure you join us next time as we discuss the practical use of biosimilars in gastroenterology APP practice. Remember to follow GAPCAST and RAPCAST so you don't miss an episode. Until next time, take care. Mm -hmm.